0: All right, welcome back to the big program. Uh, thanks to a couple of texters for helping me out with the Alberta division. Next year in the BCHL it would be Cranbrook joining the five Alberta teams, not PG. So thanks to all the texters that helped me out with that. It was hard to kind of see the logo and it's the Bucks and, uh, you know, Hey, man, you know, the eyes just aren't working as well as they (laughs) used to be. So (laughs) time now for uh, On the Mark, powered by Booster Juice. Visit a location today to refuel, refresh, and re-energize or download their new Booster Juice rewards app to earn, order, and enjoy. We welcome in Mark Spector to the program, along with our lovely and talented co-host on Mondays, Laurieann Munzer. Good morning, Laurieann. Good morning, Spec.
1: Good morning, good morning. Morning, Spec. What's going on out there, folks?
0: How, how was uh, your date weekend in Calgary?
2: Oh, it was really good. It was lots of fun. Uh nice little house party on Friday night, had a ton of laughs, and then a pretty good hockey game Saturday. Uh fun building to be in, lots of orders <laughs> fans down there, Kev.
0: Wasn't there a lot? More more than you than in past uh, times you when you visited the alone, or was it just me watching on T V spec?
2: Uh I think it yeah, I think it was it probably sounded more on TV than you it, to me being in the building. It was the same as always, which is, you know, almost 50, 50. And, you know, I'm here to tell you the Orders fans are louder right now because their team was way better in that game. And, and, you know, it's a pretty proud time to be an Orders fan, right? There's mm. no shrinking violets wearing that blue and orange Jersey. They were loud. They were louder than the Flames fans because they had way more to cheer about <laughs> in that game, you know? So, it sounded like there was more of them probably than there was even. Yeah,
0: The score probably flattered the Flames, you would think.
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it could have been 3 4 nothing in the first period, you know. And then the Oilers fell into that game that they've been so good at in the second and third. They just didn't allow any chances and yeah. waited for the break to come. And it literally was a break with the Sam Gagne goal. You know, they they earned that break all the way, and they got it, and that was enough. Two to one was enough, and Zach Hyman outbattles uh, mm-hmm. Anderson on that empty net goal. I didn't like that one bit. I thought Anderson was a pushover on that play. <laughs> I would have been, cons- this guy's supposed to be one of my best defensemen. Zach Hyman handled him like he, he was a bantam player on that play, scores the game, you know, the 3-1 goal, and it's over. Yeah. But uh, Edmonton, that was Edmonton's game. They were by far the better team.
1: I think the Edmonton Oilers are just on a streak here. Talk to about the transformation that's occurred with Chris Knobloch being in the coaching position. Because I think earlier today you were talking, uh, Kevin, with Ethan mm-hmm. just about assuming the, identity, yep. ab- ab- assuming the identity of the coach. And can you speak to that there, Speck?
2: Well, it's hard to, you know, you're right, Lorianne. Like teams, certainly us writers and people around the game always talk about how a team does assume the identity of his coach. But Mm -hmm. this guy is soft-spoken. He's he's not particularly opinionated. He's not a huge, certainly what we see of him, right, what we see. And maybe it's different in the room because we're not all in there. But he's not a giant presence, you know. He's a pretty, pretty chilled guy. But I don't see a hockey team that's chilled and and you know, kind of not making a statement. So you're right. Teams usually do assume the character of their coach, but uh, unless he's the completely different guy behind closed doors, you know, I think he's a cerebral guy. I guess, and the orders are playing very smart, patient hockey. I think if he's done anything here, he's con- you know he's he's given them confidence that they're good enough that they don't have to panic and score all their goals in the first half of the game. They don't have to worry when it's a 1-1 game going in the third. If he's done anything, he's instilled that belief and the confidence that we're good enough to play this thing down to the 59th minute if we have to, and most nights we're still going to win.
1: Absolutely. When you talk about it, I mean, this this is leadership because it's a different kind of leadership typically in sports. You'll get the coaches that are rah, rah, or in your face or yelling. Yep. And this is a different style. Leadership always trickles down from the top down. And you don't always have to be loud. So how is this translating into, well, I mean, you've talked about part of it, the belief, the confidence. But is there something key that maybe we're not seeing but you're seeing as a journalist?
2: Well, you know what? Here's what we have seen over the years: the yellow and the screamer doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay, those days are gone. <laughs> so it's the cerebral coach. Like i you know, I remember Craig McTavish saying, even when he was coaching, and that's a while ago now, that today's player you can't just tell them to do stuff. You got to tell them why they're doing it. And you know, today's player has grown up right from you know U13 to U17 to junior to they've they've dealt with structure and systems way more Kev yeah. than you and me did our coaches when we were kids just threw us out there and told us to play these guys now they're smart they know the game so when you're telling today's NHL group here's how we're going to do it you have to convince them and make them walk out of that film room saying you know what this guy's right and he knows what he's talking about and then when the game gets It's played. It needs to play out in a fashion where the team says, "Hmm, you know what, we did what he said and it really worked. Mm -hmm. That's what he's done here is he he had to he's come up with the right, you know, I guess the right instruction and the right plan. And he sold it to the players. And you can tell they're believing every word of it. No one's no one's walking out of that video room thinking, "Ah, man, this Mm -hmm. guy, all he did was scream and shout. It was a waste of our time. It is quite the opposite. What's going on here right now?
0: Mark Spector with us on Sports 1440. Kevin Carey, Slurianne Munzer on a Monday morning. So, Spec Corey Perry looking to be added, uh, signing with the team here. The, the the Oilers still have to make another move, roster move, to fit him in because of where they are with the salary cap. So I, I don't know who that move is. I guess, you know, you're probably thinking someone like Adam Ernie or, or whatever. But what do you make of uh, all the news that kind of was uh, happening on the weekend and what's going to happen here in the next day or so?
2: Well, they'll announce Corey Perry this morning, uh, probably before practice, even. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll go to practice at 11 and talk to some of the orders. I'm not sure if he's on the practice ice today, to be honest. Uh, maybe he is. Yeah. You know, he might have flown in here already, for all I know. But he's clearly signing here. It's going to happen. Uh, in fact, you know, thinking it through, I'd be surprised if he wasn't on the practice ice. Um, you know what? I, I've I, Kev, I was watching TV last night with Shelka, and I sent out about 20 texts to. Agents, mm-hmm. players, people around the Blackhawks who watched him play, a couple guys have played against him. And I'm just asking people what's left? You know, what what do you think Corey Perry has left to bring? And every I didn't get a negative text. I didn't get a you know, they they said if you're looking for him in the top six, those days are gone. His feet are slow, yeah. but he's so smart, he plays the game in a way that he he knows he's slow, so he plays it in a way where his speed doesn't hurt him. Uh, He's not going to play first-unit power play here, but he still has the hands and capability of doing what Zach Hyman's doing on this power play, being the down-low guy who doesn't have to skate much. He's still got his hands. His hands are still there. Uh, And he brings that, you know what? He's done it, right? He's Mm -hmm. done it. He's been in Cups. He's won Cups. I know Oilers fans that hated him since he scored his first <laughs> NHL goal against the Oilers. <laughs> so, all you Oilers fans out there, <laughs> I guess you are going to have to turn that over a little bit because oh. you are probably going to want to like this guy a little bit.
0: <laughs> I think you are going to love him. He's the type of player that, again, if he's on your team, you love him. When you are playing against him, you hate him. That's it's that simple with him.
2: Is he is he Brad Marsh? Sean West,
0: yeah, uh, Kev. Bigger, you know, bigger, and has the ability. I, th- he can get under your skin just as much as Marshawn can, or any player yeah. in the NHL. So that's yeah. that's critical. Again, and you know, especially down, come playoff time, you need those guys. You got to have
2: them. Ah, I think so. Like, yeah. Listen, like, let's put this into perspective. <clears throat> if he was coming in here to be your second line right winger and play with sidle, I would be very skeptical. Mm-hmm. Now, now there is a theory out there, and I know Ken Holland subscribes to this. One slow guy doesn't slow your line down. You can have one slow guy on a line and still be quick. It's If you got two slow guys, you got a slow line. But he's coming in here as a fourth liner. He's probably going to replace Adam Ernie in your mm-hmm. lineup, right? So nothing against Adam Ernie. He's been a, a good soldier here all year. But it's an upgrade on your fourth on a fourth line winger. Corey Perry brings more to the table than Adam Ernie, I'm afraid to say, even though Mm -hmm. he's older. Uh, You're better. You wake up this morning with a better team than you had yesterday. Yeah.
1: Well, that's another point there. He's 38, so again, we're hitting that magic number in the 30s. What kind of veteran presence is Corey Perry going to be bringing to the team?
2: Well, it's it's you know it has to be there has to be a large amount of that cerebral. That dressing room leadership, that all the intangible stuff. Because you're right, is at 38, his game on the ice has to be deteriorating. It just has to be. And we've watched it. Is the first thing to go with Corey Perry is the feet. He's not that quick anymore. If you're going out to watch a guy blaze around, you're not looking. You know, you're in the wrong place. So, I, th- I mean, but don't you, don't you guys think that the Oilers where they're at? Right. This is a team that's been to the Western Conference final. They lost two Mm -hmm. years in the road to the cup winner. They're that to me, this is the best hockey they've ever played here since the eighties. They're this close, right? This close to getting over the top in the playoffs. I think that the, the hurdles that they have to climb in the playoffs are the exact hurdles that Corey Perry can help you with. I think a lot of it happens in the dressing room and a lot of it happens on the bench in tough, tight, clutch situations. This is a guy you want on your team when the game's on the line in Game 7 in Vegas come May, right?
0: Mm-hmm. You know, even, spec. go back to 2017, the Oilers in the playoffs that year. I mean, think about what you know Anaheim had you know, with, you know, they had you know, Kessler and Getzlaff and, you know, all these guys yep. were bigger bodies and, you know, and the Oilers were, they, they should have probably beaten uh, Anaheim there. But, I mean, you look at how the makeup of that team was and it was way different than how the Oilers were made up. And this is just one little, uh, one, one little addition here that can go a long way. But h- how many more little additions uh, do you think that, ken holland can make here in the next several weeks i guess
2: well you know what i like it i mean i think we've all agreed they they we've got to figure out a backup goalie probably the big the home run here is a right winger for dry and the bottom six needed to get bigger and and better well i think they they've you know what in bringing in hall, hall away, of course from injury mm-hmm. And now Corey Perry, that's two bottom six guys, and they're both big. One of them's fast, the other one's wily and and smart. So I'm not sure if you didn't kind of if if you could, can't check the bottom six stuff off the, you know, do you want a third line center? I mean, I guess we're gonna ask that question, but they've really helped their bottom six here. Holloway and Perry are two excellent additions. So now I'm gonna ask you, right? They really haven't expended any assets yet. You know, Ken Holland hasn't used, he won't use any cap space because I think he'll just replace Ernie with Perry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you ask, you tell me what, if you've got a little, some ass that's left, not an infinite amount, and not an infinite amount of cap space, what's the next move that Ken Holland makes here? Does he, if he can find a right winger for Dry to me, that's the home run. If you can find a guy that can score goals on Dry right side, oh boy, you got to. You got a pretty good team going in the playoffs don't you well
0: oh, and i mean the way Stu skinner's playing right now he the, the composure he doesn't you know he doesn't look like he's in you know he was up for the calder last year he looks like a, a guy that's been around a lot longer
2: yeah you know yeah i, I haven't I, I don't know let's ask the question and maybe the listeners can text me the answer i'm trying to think of When's the last time you had this much confidence in an Oilers goaltender? When's the last time you watched a guy play for two months like this at this level? And, I mean, pucks are sticking to this mm-hmm. guy. There yes. is nothing hanging around the crease, right? Maybe Cam Talbot
0: He's... back in 2017 when they were on that run. You know, that's yeah, that's the last probably. one. That's the last one. And and this is at another level.
2: I think it's at another level. Yeah. And he doesn't, you know, this is a kid whose career's on the way up, like, mm-hmm. There's no reason, listen, goalies are voodoo. We all know that. (laughs) I can't tell you, I I can't tell you what Skinner's gonna do six months from now or two years from now. I don't know that. But I know what he's done so far, and all we've seen with Stuart Skinner is an ascent, right? Mm -hmm. His career and his game have just gone uphill every month. A little bit better, a little bit better. Okay, the playoffs, we stumbled. Comes back this year, stumbles again. Boom, a little bit better, a little bit better. He is absolutely recovered from whatever was going on early in the year. He put it behind him. Uh, he is as good a goalie as I'm here to tell you. In the last two months, he's as good a goalie as there is in the National Hockey League, including any name you could throw at me like Vasilevsky yep. or Shesterkin yep. or Demko or any of those guys. I know it's only two months. Yep. I hear you out there. But this guy has been fantastic and his career ascent isn't showing me a guy who I think it's about to fall apart. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't see any signs of a player who ah just give me 2 weeks it's going to get bad. I don't see that. There's no none of those signs exist.
1: I think whatever he's doing is is working, and you know, there's always that mental aspect of: are you consciously aware of what you're doing, or are you unconscious about what you're doing? I think he's in that conscious awareness Mm -hmm. of what it is that he's doing, and I think we're going to have to maybe give him the nickname of uh, the (laughs) magnet because he's catching those pucks, he's making those saves, and that's as far as they're going, and that's what you do, right? All well, right, Speck, yeah.
2: goaltending is everything, and he's giving yeah. it to him.
0: Goal tending is everything. Uh, mm-hmm. Appreciate your time, Speck. We'll see you down at the rink, big fella. Uh, All right, looking forward to it, Kev.
2: It's a Corey Perry day at the rink, and <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's going to be hard for Oilers fans to cheer up. What number does uh, he wear here? He can't wear 10. No. What's he, like 8 not the, have 24.
0: The Duke says 24. I don't know why. 24? Is that what he had in? He's he's wore that internationally. Okay. 24.
2: Sure. He's worn lots of numbers. He was ten, wasn't he, in the in the ducks. Yeah. Wasn't he an old number 10? ten? or yeah. I think he was, and then he was like eighty eight in Tampa, so whatever. Who cares what number he plays? <laughs> He's twenty years now, folks. You better learn to like him.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think fans are gonna be liking him. Uh thanks, Beck. Appreciate it, buddy. <laughs> All right. Uh that was on the mark. Energized by Booster Juice. Get the boost you need at Booster Juice. When we come back, our headliner of the day, Paula Finley, world champion triathlete, and uh Friend of Laurie Ann's? Yes. This is going to be great. You're gonna, I yeah. can't What? Wait. You got everything fired up, ready to go?
1: Or I'm like, always ready. Ugh. Paula is amazing to watch, mm-hmm. and she's an incredible athlete. She's been around yeah. for such a long time. I remember watching her when she was 16 years yeah. old in Canmore.
0: Well, I mean, I've interviewed her, I don't know, a couple dozen times over mm-hmm. the years and stuff like that. Never, uh, like in this forum, is always television yes. obviously so yeah. this will be a little different and uh is she where is she in where is she right now do you know oregon i she's believe oregon? Okay. yeah at home oh yeah mm-hmm. and i was, was she just doing some trail racing or something like i saw something was
1: i can't keep track of her yeah. i can't keep up with her she's just <laughs> flying all over the
0: place <laughs> well paula finley will be our guest kevin caries laurianne munzer on sports 1440 right after the break stay with us <laughs> All right, welcome back to the big program. Time now for the headliner of the day, brought to you by Mr. Rooter. They are sports fans like all of our listeners and are pumped that Sports Talk Radio is back. For all your plumbing needs, go to mrreuter.ca as we welcome in Paula Finley to the program. Paula, you're with Kevin Karius and Laurie Ann Munzer. Welcome to Sports 1440. Hello,
3: everybody. Thanks
0: for having me. Oh, It's good to hear your voice. We've obviously done a lot of interviews with you over the years, all in television with Global and ITV and everything back in the day. But uh, good, yeah. good to hear your voice and, and thanks for coming on. So, I mean, Laurianne sort of uh, lined this up. So I'm going to just let Laurieann, you can
1: carry the ball here for a little bit, and, for sure, and uh, let her rip. Right on. Well, welcome Paula to Sports 1440. It was, uh, I've always followed your career right from 16 when I first saw you racing in Canmore and I thought this is an athlete to watch and totally you have really grown within the sport and talk to us about how did you get started and the sprint Olympic distance is a little different than the 70.3 that you're doing now. So walk us through this.
3: Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks. Thank you for having me. It's I don't physically live in Edmonton anymore, but my family's all still there. And it's obviously where I grew up and got into the sport and went to university. So um, obviously a very special place to me. And, yeah, it's good to talk to both of you. So um, I'm a triathlete. For anyone who doesn't know, I went to the 2012 Olympics. And as a 34-year-old, I'm actually still competing as my job, which I never in a million years would have thought back as a 16-year-old <laughs> that I'd be doing this almost 20 years later. But um, yeah, triathlon's a really cool sport in that I went down the Olympic pipeline and raced as a junior, went to the Olympics um, in the short course format, and then transitioned kind of more to the half Ironman distance. And there's a really nice um, sort of setup for athletes like me to be able to, to transition to the longer course racing and make a job of it if you are fast enough and staying healthy. And that's kind of been the key to me for me is to um, keep staying healthy and keep enjoying the sport. And my partner, Eric also races professionally. So doing this together is a huge piece of why I'm still able to do it. And um, yeah, it's, it's fun. I moved to, oregon where it's a little bit better climate than edmonton for training but uh i really do miss edmonton (laughs)
0: well it's going to be plus eight here coming up this week so you could be training in end of january here in great conditions
3: paula (laughs) yeah that's true hey it does really fluctuate but (laughs) the deep freeze is tough
0: it sure does Uh, so take us back to 2010 when you became the first canadian triathlete to win a world triathlon series event in london
3: Yeah, honestly, that that feels a bit like a lifetime ago for me, and um, I think that it was just as a junior, as a, a kid in high school, I was all obsessed with triathlon. It's all I did. I didn't stay up late. I was just go to school, train. I had some talent, obviously, in the sport, but I had a really good work ethic, and When I went to my first senior race, um, I was kind of seated last. Like I had never done a race of that level before, and racing all these Olympians and world champions that I looked looked up to, and. Um, I think I was fitter and faster than I ever believed I was and ended up, you know, the last lap of the run running with these idols of mine. And I had this 800 meter kick that really played to my advantage in all these races. I raced um, track with the U of A, actually. So I did have a little bit of speed in my legs at that age. And that's how I won these big races. And yeah, in the last kilometer, I kind of. (laughs) broke away without even really intending to. And, um, yeah, I I kept surprising myself again and again as, like, a 20-year-old when I was winning these huge races and didn't really know how. But really looking back, it's just the the work that I put in as a kid (laughs) through the years in Jim. Yeah.
1: Going back just into just what you were just talking about there, the belief part is just sometimes we don't understand that, but then just really opening up – at the end there, the 800 meter kick, you talked about the Olympic dream was inspired by Simon Whitfield, seeing him win silver in Beijing in 2008. And then you're on the stage, the elite stage, and you're, you're, you're winning. And how does that feel? And, you know, are you still connected with Simon?
3: Yeah, I think um, especially as a young athlete, it was really important to have an idol and someone to look up to in the same sport. And when I watched Simon win his medals at the Olympics, I was a competitive swimmer. I hadn't really done a triathlon yet, but I was swimming with the Keanu Swim Club in Edmonton. And having a swim background is a really good base for getting into the sport. And um, having Simon like alongside me for my journey personally was really important because he'd sort of been through it all and had the success and we both went to the 2012 olympics together and i had the opportunity to train alongside him and i was very young compared to him at the time but i i learned a lot watching him and um yeah i definitely still am in contact he's obviously retired from the sport but still involved in athletics and in triathlon so i i know he's like a good mentor i could go to for anything and uh yeah, it's just a. It's important for anyone to have someone to look up to, and I hope that I could could do that for other kids um, that want to go to the Olympics out of Edmonton or out of Canada in general for triathlon.
0: Well, you've you've been a fabulous role model. There's no denying that as we speak with Paula Finley, world champion triathlete and Edmontonian, uh, now living in uh, Oregon on Sports 1440. Kevin Carey, Loriann Munzer. So, Paula, out of the three disciplines in triathlon, what came easier to you? What did you have to work at? more than the other uh, events?
3: Uh, Well, I grew up swimming. My parents put me in swim club when I was pretty young, so... That came fairly easy to me, and my parents are both pretty athletic. They were both runners, so I think through my swim fitness, I was able to kind of jump into running races throughout high school and junior high school and do pretty well at them without really doing any run training. So I think really the key to my success ultimately in triathlon was having this huge aerobic engine from swimming so much as a kid. And the bike, it kind of just um, got better as I got older. Like, I I was injured a lot as a kid running, so did put a lot more focus on the bike during those periods where I couldn't run. And that's kind of the beauty of triathlon is there's three completely different sports that really complement each other um, from an endurance perspective. So I kind of built this big engine on the bike when I wasn't able to run as much and then strung them all together and ultimately got kind of equally good at all of them. I don't have a strength but they're all they're all okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. When you're talking about the bike part the one part that I wasn't aware of until all of a sudden I got the news with Canadian cyclists is that in 2022 you decided to race the Canadian National Time Trial Championships. Walk us through what was that like and and when did you decide, yep, yeah, I'm going to go for it?
3: Yes. So um, I've been doing triathlon forever, it feels like, basically since I was a kid. And cycling is obviously a big part of the sport. And as doing the half Ironman distance, I race on a time trial bike, so not a road bike. And it's an individual pursuit style race. And um, I was just curious to try something different. Like cycling is a completely different sport in a way in terms of, the type of training, the type of power, the type of effort you have to put out in a time trial. It's a lot shorter than what I train for, specifically in triathlon. And I thought it'd be interesting to kind of put myself up against pure cyclists and see where I stacked up. And in 2022, I won the Canadian TT Championships and then again in 2023. So I was um, put on the team for the World Championships and went to UCI Worlds in Glasgow this year for the time trial. So it was really cool to feel a little bit like a newbie again and a beginner at a sport when i've been doing racing for you know over 20 years um and i loved it i i totally loved it i would love to go back to the olympics as a cyclist but there's always like politics and things involved it's not as easy as it sounds but yeah it was a really cool experience and i hope to do more of it this year as well
1: is there a go ahead Is there a difference? You you talked about the distance being a little different. What what was the distance at the Canadian Championships, Worlds, and then what are typically your distances?
3: Uh, So the the cycling distance is usually about 30K. It's not a set distance. So at Nationals, it was a little bit shorter than it was at the World Championships, but generally takes about 45 minutes. And the racing I do in triathlon is 80 or 90 K. So that takes over two hours. So you can imagine the difference of intensity for something that's Mm -hmm. less than half as short. And thankfully for me, I really like that type of like high power intensity effort. It spiced up my training a little bit. And I think ultimately helped me in triathlon to have that more high end power that I was training for, for the time trial. So it's different but the same and another huge difference is like the bike position that you're in in a time trial it's much more aggressive much lower much more uncomfortable because you only have to hold it for 45 minutes versus in a triathlon we sitting up sitting up a little bit more and uh thinking about running off the bike, which is also different.
0: (laughs) Uh, Paula Finley, our guest on the Kevin Carey Show with Lorianne Munzer on Sports 1440. The number of times that you uh, were able to race in your hometown here in Horlach Park and um, how special were those events uh, that you were able to, you know, race in front of family and friends in Edmonton?
3: Yeah, I think I'm a little bit spoiled because in 2007, I raced in Edmonton as a junior and I just kind of thought that was normal like oh I'm racing this big world event at home but it really is rare to race a huge event of like international caliber in your hometown so I'm super fortunate that Edmonton has this rich history in triathlon and people like Sheila kelly and um have just brought triathlon back again and again to horlock park so even up until 2022 i raced a big international pto race in edmonton and it's always so cool to be able to come back home and sleep in my own bed and all these luxuries that you don't experience when you're racing all over the world and have family and friends on the course is for sure a hometown advantage so i i hope there's more back there and it's um Horlock is a great venue to host it. I know it's closed right now, but hopefully when it reopens, it'll be um, even better for hosting triathlons.
0: Did you feel more pressure uh, when you were racing at
3: home? Yeah, for sure. I think pressure is kind of a privilege. Um, when you have pressure, it means that you're, you really care about something and you have expectations of yourself and other people might have expectations of you and, um, having family there, like eyes on watching me in real life versus on a TV screen feels different. But, um, it also is nice that family supports you no matter what, and your friends don't really care what place you come in. So, um, yeah, it's a different feeling racing at home. And I try not to let that pressure affect me in a negative way when I'm when I'm on course in Edmonton, (laughs) use it to fuel me instead. When you're talking
1: about fueling you, I know that we talk a lot here on the show about mindset. How important is it? Like you're an individual athlete in three disciplines. How important and key is mindset to preparation before and then at the event on race day?
3: Yeah, mindset has become important, like even increasingly more important as I do this in my later stages of my career. Um, I have a lot more experience than I had 10 years ago and a lot more, you know, things to fall back on when I'm struggling. But um, having the three sports, I think has really been the reason I can do this for so long. And, spices up the training, it it mixes it up. If I'm injured in one sport, I can do another. And it's a little bit um, like a puzzle to put it all together in the right way. And I'm really lucky to have a great coach that I trust and who writes my program. So I don't have to think too much about how to put the pieces together. But um, it is really a collaborative relationship and I need to give feedback and the coach needs to, you know, put out the best plan possible to make me fast. So it's, right. it's cool. It's kind of been like an evolving process and mindset from when I was a younger athlete, but there's no way I could still be doing the sport if I hadn't like learned lessons along the way and implemented them in what I'm currently doing.
0: Might have to get Lori on the, you know, riding side by side <laughs> with you, doing some bike work. I would
3: love that. Yeah, no, I I remember watching you, Lorianne, when I was young at the twenty twenty two thousand four Olympics. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that the right year? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been cool to have so many like Edmontonians on the world stage. So yeah, very, well, we are the city tough. of
1: champions, and That's you're
3: one true. of
0: them as well. So you know, it's it's funny, uh, Paul. Every time, like when Loriann co-hosts. She gets guests like you know. I think we're probably up to eight or nine Olympic gold medals, and then world medals like yourself, and yes. championships yeah. and things like that. It's 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 hard to keep track with the success, I guess you could say, of all the the great athletes that we've had on. And as you said, you're one of them, and it's you must be so proud to be from Edmonton with the, the history and all the great athletes that have come come through here and are from here.
3: Yeah, totally. Especially in summer sports, I think sometimes in the dead of winter, it seems impossible to train for. Summer sport in Edmonton, but the facilities are awesome. I was at the Kinsman Sports Center for like my entire childhood. So it really is cool that such Mm -hmm. really strong athletes can come out of uh, kind of a city that's known more for its winter, but obviously the summers are really beautiful. And uh, yeah, I think there's like three triathlon Olympians that have come out of Edmonton, which is cool since there's only been in the olympics since 2000 so <laughs> it's a good percentage of people
0: we have a text uh, here uh, from tiger it says uh, hi guys that's a great interview to ask her if she knows heather fear out of stony plain many time ironman champion
3: yeah of course heather is uh it's cool because she's she was a champion in ironman and that's kind of the distance that i'm moving up to now so heather's still very involved with the athlete liaison uh side of triathlon. So I talk to her a lot through email and she's at a lot of the events and yeah, it's it's cool to have her still involved in the sport for sure.
0: So like what's the next uh I guess couple of years look for you? Like what are your goals? What what do you wanna do? What are your dreams still here in the sport and what do you want to accomplish? <laughs>
3: Yeah, it's crazy that I'm still doing this. I mean, thankfully, at this stage, I'm able to make a living at it, which is which is really nice. And there's um, a new, or relatively new organization called the Professional Triathlete Organization. They're putting on a series this year with the top 16 athletes in the world racing head-to-head six to eight times throughout the year. So that's my prim- primary focus there's good financial motivation but also just racing the best several times a year that's kind of been something that's missing in triathlon and i get to do that this year and uh in 2022 i was second at the world championships so being that close to the top made me realize it's very possible for me to win that race so every year I go into the season thinking I'd like to win the 70.3 world championships and
1: Uh, that's my goal this year too. We're going to be watching all of us and you've embarked on another adventure that triathlon life can you tell us what that's about?
3: Yeah me and my partner Eric we have it sort of started as a YouTube channel and it still exists as that but it sort of blossomed into a podcast and an apparel company and be re- really a community of people that race in our kid and wear our logo at races. And um, we started it during COVID when we were a little bit bored and there were no races to do. And it's evolved into something that really could be our full-time job if we wanted it to be. But um, in this age, it's like social media is so much more important than it used to be. When I started triathlon, there was Twitter didn't even exist yet. So <laughs> we've sort of used the new platforms to Leverage ourselves and market ourselves and make our sponsors happy. And it's a huge part of what we do. So if you want to follow our journey, it's um, called That on Life on YouTube. There's a podcast. And then on Instagram, it's my name, Paula Finley. And we post a lot of photos and videos about our journeys and our racing. So if it's interesting, then you can follow there.
0: <laughs> it's so wonderful catching up with you, Paula. Um, you're such an, a, a great ambassador for our city and sport. And just uh, truly, truly appreciate you coming on. And best of luck uh, in future endeavors. I'm uh, really thankful that you were able, able to hop on with uh, with us this morning. Thank you.
3: We'll yeah, I will, I will never say no to an Edmonton interview. So thank <laughs> yeah. you so much for asking me. <laughs> well,
0: we'll we'll uh, we'll see how the next little bit uh, kind of shakes down as far as uh, events that you go in, and then we'll uh, we'll do this again in a few months. How's that sound? Oh,
3: that sounds great.
0: Thank uh, you so much. Thanks, okay. Paula. That's Paula Finley, uh, world champion triathlete. Triathlete doesn't uh, get any better than that. And our headliner of the day for Mister Rooter. There's a reason they call him Mister. For all your plumbing needs, you can go to Mister you know, every time that I was lucky enough to interview her over the years, it would be down at Horlick Park for the most part. But we also did some stuff in the last little while during COVID because she was still training and did it on Zoom and things like that. Yeah. So just a wonderful, wonderful person. She's amazing, driven, and so driven. Yeah. And you, you see, that's I guess when you when you are a world champion, like you know this. I mean, you have to have that drive that comes from within, and I think. And she touched on it with her mom and dad, the fact that, you know, they were totally supportive, fully, you know, got her into swimming early and then were behind. She went and she had a lot of injuries, too, yes. you know, that she had like, you know, pelvic uh, injuries. And I think she had a, like, a, a, you know, some um, iron deficiencies, I think, as well. She had
1: a number of things you know, going so, but on. But she she got she, she battled through it all. Yeah. And sometimes you just got to take yeah. a break, take a step back reassess Mm -hmm. and then decide what it is. And I think the biggest part that you're talking about uh, the drive is a desire and that desire is a fire that comes within. And sometimes it gets a little low and then other times it's like, okay, you just got to let it rip.
0: You got to open the damper. You got to open the can. Open the damper. Yes. Yeah. Open the damper. Uh, When we come back, we'll have some uh, open text line. Uh, We'll spin a few more yarns with uh, Lorianne. Top of the hour, Craig Ellis, former, CFLer played here, played in Saskatchewan, uh, played in Calgary, yeah. Winnipeg. Played a couple of years in the NFL too, and Argonauts. Argonauts. Argonauts Toronto he, yeah. As well. So and now he's a personal trainer, kind of in town here as well, right? Uh, does he's a lot. doing
1: a lot of coaching, coaching stuff with up and coming young athletes. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to finding out more about that. Yes. Uh, also, uh, Larry Holder at uh, 1020,
0: senior NFL writer at The Athletic, will guest with us as we're down to the final four in the NFL. Uh, when we come back, more with Laurie Munzer on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. There's the Monster's favorite Monday song.
1: I love this song. This just brightens up. I just start <sighs> yeah. smiling. I don't know what it is, but it's just like, ah, it's awesome.
0: I don't know if I like it. Really? No, oh, I think I'm on. out. I'm out on it. Oh, come I'm on! I'm really out on it.
1: I think we should go to the texters and ask them: <laughs> sure. Are you in or are you out are for you, the manic uh, do you Monday? You like the, manic,
0: song? the Bangles' Manic Monday? Uh, speaking of in or out, we just got the sheet for Are You In or Are You Out? That's coming up at nine forty. Yes. Yes. One of the questions, I, and I had it all written out here to talk about Nick Dunlap. And the that's Duke, The Duke, he, he read my mind. Like I mean, that's that's scary, Duke. When you can come up with. What I was going to talk about here in this break, and then now not in the break in this segment. Uh, so Nick Dunlap is a golfer, Lorraine, mm-hmm. and he, at tw- he's twenty years old. Yes, and he won on the PGA Tour, but he's an amateur, so he doesn't get yes. the cash. Doesn't get to collect the cash. Yeah, um, he won the. Uh, this is the first time an amateur won a PGA Tour event since Phil Mickelson
1: mm-hmm. in 19- thirty-three
0: years ago. Yeah, nineteen ninety-one. And he would have had, uh, well, I guess it's about a million and a half. Uh, that's a lot of cash. But now he's <laughs> U.S. Yes, you, yeah, that's but not Canadian. The, the, a million. The key, yeah, no, it's well, yeah, it's about eight million Canadian. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now the thing is that he gets a two year exemption now, right? He gets to go to the Masters. His a two year exemption on the PGA Tour. He's just twenty years old. Yes. Uh, he's from Alabama or goes to school at Alabama. So, I mean, he, he missed the cut in his previous three events on the PGA Tour. Now he's got a two-year exemption. So this is, a, this is life-changing. And he gets to go to the Masters, yes. PGA Championship, the Players' Championship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously a pretty good player. Yes. So, okay, as a young guy... What would have his, how, how would he have dealt with, and I mean, golfers are a different breed. We all, everyone knows that. If you are a competitive golfer, you're a different breed in the sense of it's a hard sport to be successful at because there's so many great players. You have to have the mental toughness that is draining on a day-to-day basis, a shot-to-shot basis. So as an Olympic champion... How would a young guy like that deal with uh, what he had to deal with, uh, you know, this past weekend to win this uh, win this tournament?
1: I think one of the things you have to think about and do as an athlete in a high-level sport like this because golf is more a mental game than a physical game because you have to keep doing it over and over and over again. And every shot you have to keep resetting. So this is something he hasn't done just once. He's done this multiple times of practicing, of visualizing, of seeing. And you're always playing with three different scenarios. Number one, you make the perfect shot. Number two, you screw up the shot. (laughs) And number three, when the wind or the bird takes it, it goes sideways because you just never know. You can predict the club, the balls, where you are. The wind is totally unseen and you never know where it's going to come from. I think it's more
0: like... The players don't worry about that. Um, you have to. Yes, there's compensation if you if you're blasting it in or there's a hard win left to right. But I think it's more. It's all the mental preparation, shot to shot. It's it is. It's one at a time. It's going through. You know your your same um, setup. It's your same. You know every visual visualization of every shot from. And I mean, this is, this is why, I I don't know if I told you this story and it's a true story about a guy from uh, an American that was a uh, prisoner of war in Vietnam and he was in, you know, a prisoner of war camp for years. And the only thing that kept him going was he played a round of golf every day in his, in wherever, you know, in the, where he was held captive. So he played a round of golf every day, but he, he, he took it to an extreme where the round lasted probably a dozen hours and he like every tiny little detail and he was i think he was like a scratch golfer when he joined uh you know when he went to 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 fight in the war and when he came out after all these years and obviously undernourished and under everything and sat in a hole for how many years i think he was like one or two over par uh in his first round back
1: But that's how powerful your mind is. And this is something in athletics as a young athlete, you may not know about as a professional athlete, it's imperative. And Skinner may be awesome at doing this because of the results that he's getting, Mm -hmm. he's getting better and better and better. And this is what happens. You will never perfect it. And I will tell you that like right from the get go, you will perfect it once, but then perfect it again. And again, the identical way, the same situation will never happen. And if you master it, it's mastering you and what you're doing and how you're thinking. Are you rea- are you reacting? Are you responding? And there's a big difference between those two things. And if you have had the opportunity to practice it, it doesn't come as a surprise, and you don't get hoodwinked or <laughs> you know sideswiped or it's like out of the blue. You've already done it, and the more times that you do it. In your mind, it's going to get better and better, easier and easier, and then it will become familiar that it becomes your new norm. Kevin Carious, Ann
0: Munzer on Sports 1440, LA. Unfortunately, the masses have spoken. Coach L says, Don't like the Bengals song. It's too bland. Need energy. Coach L. Jordan goes, Out. Mondays suck.
1: Oh, boy. These guys are
0: tough. They do not like the
1: Bengals. I don't are know. tough. That's okay. I'm okay with that. You can't have everything. Okay, what song would they put in and replace Manic Monday with? That's my question. Well, Matt.
0: what about that Tell Me Why I Don't Like Mondays? Who sings that oh, one Oh, the Boomtown
1: Rats. Boomtown oh, no, Rats, no, no. yeah. It's not a good one. Do no. we don't
0: have that song, do we?
1: I don't know. I'm, I don't think I know that song, so I'll have to search.
0: You've never heard the Boomtown Rats, Tell Me Why uh, I Don't Like Mondays? No. Uh, I do like Why no. don't you like it, Lorianne?
1: It's because the premise of what it's about. Oh. It's not about
0: a great story. Oh, okay. Well, I, I just thought it was the person didn't like Mondays, so.
1: Mm. Not yeah.
0: really. I'll have to do a little deeper dive on that. <laughs> at
1: least that's what I remember.
0: So yeah. Zap is out. 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 Ooh, ouch. Here I go again on my own from Jordan hits what he wants. That's that uh what's that? White Snake Duke?
1: Here I go again. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yeah.
0: I think Mickey Ward when he was boxing. That was the song that when they ent- when he entered the ring, like the you know, coming into the stadium. Mm hmm. Yeah. Training. Mickey Ward. Do you remember Mickey Ward or not? No. Um, you know, the other thing I've, I've got to text Kenny Lacosta. I, I was trying to find the results from Ethan Hallaby's fight on Saturday Yeah, and it was tough to find. I mean, that's the problem with, you know, we promote these uh, events and, and I think it was sold out. I asked Kenny on Saturday, you know, do you, do you need, or actually I asked him on Friday, do you want to go on Gregor's show just to, if you need, he goes, no, we're sold out. So this was a, a boxing match at River Cree, mm-hmm. but I, I saw a little bit of the video. Did you see it Duke? I watched... Uh, it no, was, word,
3: word, like, was I, it on the... Uh, I, was,
0: I saw it on YouTube, but it was very unclear to me exactly what
3: happened.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so we'll have to see what Kenny has to say about that. Hmm. Uh, when we come back, top of the hour, Craig Ellis, former cfl We'll do a little bit of a discussion with a friend of Lori Ann's and uh, see what he's been up to and get his thoughts on the NFL, CFL, what's going on here in Edmonton, his career, the whole bit. The whole kitten and caboodle. Uh, before that, time now for a Sports 1440 update. Brought to you by Tommy Guns, home of the ultimate grooming experience. Our hot towel shaves, awesome haircuts, and treatments were designed for you. Book now at TommyGuns.com. Here is the Duke.